Welcome to another episode of Ecoville, your weekly podcast that promotes environmental conservation. I'm your host, Nonsigele Lokwaka. Our guest today was once described by CNN as the face of Zimbabwean comedy. He is a comedian, a chef, and an entrepreneur. His name is Carl Joshua Ngube. Today on the program, we want to discuss one of his entrepreneurial ventures, which is Ekaya, a project that promotes sustainable rural tourism. Let's welcome Carl to the program so he can tell us more about this project. Hi, Carl, and welcome to Ecoville. Hey, Nonsi, how are you doing? I, I feel bad, like, shortening your name to Nonsi when we've got Nonsi Gelelo Mukumira Kwaka. <laughs> That's what we should be saying. You know, I hate I'm it when people shorten Carl Joshua and move it. Yeah, and they just call me Carl. And I'm like, no, it's Carl Joshua and move it. <laughs> See, the comedy is already coming through. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, I know. I just had to do that because, you know, people sometimes will listen to the podcast and will say, you didn't even crack a joke. Uh, because, we, you know, obvi- obviously I'm now in the, in the older, more serious part of my life, which is, uh, you know, this project, Ekaya. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so the interesting thing about it is, uh, is, is that, you know, it all started with the fact that in our family, we actually don't have a Kaya. Okay. So like our, my grandfather apparently came from South Africa, then changed his name uh, to, to move it. So in fact, we don't even know what our origins are. Okay. And so this journey of a Kaya was, mm-hmm. was now about going back. If you look at our logo, in fact, people say that the, the, the word Ekaya is spelled incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't have the H. But my argument is that uh, it, that's, the, that's the real problem we're trying to solve, which is to find what our origins are. So we've disrupted by coming in with an incorrectly spelled word, which we believe is correct because our language was translated into English. That's why we use this English uh, letters. Uh, mm-hmm. So in fact, uh, the word Eka is an approximation of something more colonial than it is uh, something that's more of our identity. Yeah, I like um, and, and so for us... Uh, for us, our journey is about going back and finding out what is our true story, what, is, what was our true story in our language. Uh, because, you know, a lot of the times when we come in, we're talking about sustainability, uh, sustainable development goals, um, you know, uh, ecotourism and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In our language, those things don't exist as that. The things to do with sustainability were more a spiritual thing, which is why you find like we've got totems that represent animals. You're not allowed to eat a certain animal. There's certain times of year that you grow, there's certain crops you grow in certain parts of the country. Uh, we used to be nomadic. So we used to allow the land to heal following the path of uh, animals, for example, because they were following water. And so we followed the animals. So we never had human animal conflict. Mm. It's only when colonization came into the equation that it shifted everything. And so for us, we, we've had to restudy, relearn, in fact, unlearn um, a lot of what we think we know. And so this uh, Ikaya, we're doing a rural Zimbabwe uh, research project, which is looking at the past, present and future. So curating information from the past uh, and collaborating with people to understand what's happening in the present. And then also bringing up some ideas as to how we see the future of smart green villages looking into the into the future. Okay, so um, I like the way that you said that uh, Ekaya is actually uh, is it a, a a construct that has always been there within African culture, but was then changed by uh, colonialism. Right. Yeah. It it was changed by a lot of what we do was changed by colonialism. How we spell words, like for example, they they basically came up with the language and guessed what a sound 
sounded like. Mm. So when you look at how the pr- pronunciation of the letters Q, X, uh, in some countries now, there's an exclamation mark. In fact, in Namibia, certain cultures use the backspace, mm-hmm. the, what you call a backslash to describe. So th- there's a lot already wrong with how our languages were constructed. And I'll give you some examples mm-hmm. uh, because I'm half Shona out in the village, so I'm colored. So on the Shona yeah, part of my family. Right here. It, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 if you look, so if you look at how, let's say when you speak Shona, you say things like, Endakuchkoro, uh, Unochagabasa. Kuchagabasa mm-hmm. means looking for a boss. Kutuno Sevenza, to become a servant. Mm-hmm. So our language is already positioned to make us not be entrepreneurs. It's taking us away from being chiefs and kings. It's taking us away from rural affluence and is putting us in a way of servitude to a particular construct. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we're going back and we're saying, no, but listen, hang on. The, the way that we build our hearts is a form of technology and that should be registered as an IP, as intellectual property of a mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Because right now what's happening in Europe is they're building using cob, they're using mud, clay and grass, and they're actually doing courses, charging as much as 3,000 pounds for someone to learn how to build a mud hut because they are looking at it as a technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have said yeah. that with black people, we had our, we had our own ways of, of, of conservation, the way we lived, which yeah. was then changed. So we've to, you've spoken about the past. Now I want to take you into the future. Right now, because yeah. what we know has changed, and I need you to explain what is ecotourism. Right. Okay, so for example, you know, like uh, tourism is really the low-hanging fruit and it's the way in which we can get our people to sort of understand and say, listen, you can encourage people to come and stay in your villages, but in, a so- in an e- environmentally more sustainable and responsible manner. So the type of housing that you're using, in fact, how you're recycling your water, there's so many different attributes on there, like the food being locally sourced, uh, the food being organic and grown within those particular villages, and also the communities benefiting from, uh, from the tourism activities. But obviously, it's much wider uh, scope when you look at uh, the area of ecotourism. I'll, I'll give you a typical example. Did you know that uh, we've stopped growing food for our own sustenance? In fact, in the rural areas, we're now growing food to sell so that we get cash, so that we go and buy food that's packaged in plastics and so on. Mm-hmm. to bring back to the village. Yes. I mean, imagine that. It's, it's so bizarre that people are not growing food for themselves anymore. And yet what it was is that subsistence farming was growing for yourself and then the excess could be sold. Mm-hmm. As an example, you know, even our practices right now, we've now, you know, people are not growing closer to their homesteads. They're growing further away from their homesteads. We are not considering uh, new technologies like aquaponics, uh, hydroponics uh, to save water. We're not even collecting rainwater. Mm-hmm. You know, it's raining, but the water is not even being collected. People are now moving the urban rural migration. They're drilling bowls, each person a bowl for their own homestead. And it's lowering the water tables and people can't access the, the wells. So there's quite a lot of things that people aren't thinking about to, to say that this, there's this, um, it's an ecosystem that's there that we're destroying, which is a human uh, ecosystem. And remember, we are the ones who are custodians of everything else. So if our systems fail, then everything else will fail for any of the other animals and so on in, the, in that area. Okay. Uh, why do you think that the concept of rural life or rural-based tourism is not popular in Zimbabwe? 
Um, again, it, I think it comes from a colonial perspective. We have always viewed living in town as being a way of affluence. We don't regard our villages. We look at people, people in the village as being backward, as being uh, poor. Uh, but this, contract, this construct has been, has been uh, created simply by not giving people in the rural areas the correct information. I'll give a, another example. So I live in a village that is opposite a national park, mm. right? So in the village, they are trying to grow uh, vegetables. They're trying to grow like umumbo and stuff like that. Mm. Elephants and so on will come into the village and eat all of the people's produce. They'll then call national parks who will then deal with the animals from the perspective of uh, human-animal conflict, right? Mm. My argument is, if an elephant is coming in front of your heart, surely now your heart is more valuable from a tourism perspective. Now you can put a guest in there for that experience for about 400 US dollars a, a night. So rather than, rather than dealing with what you're calling, uh, you know, problem animals, the issue is that why not introduce people into tourism and actually train them and actually set up the facilities? We know we can set up uh, franchise uh, models so that people can look after our guests rather than say, Let's allow only the people in the national park to have those guests. And then you guys will give you donations from the proceeds and build you a borehole. That's not enriching the communities. In oh, fact, it's no. making them more dependent. I like how you're coming up with a solution for wildlife and, and human conflict. Because it's something that mm. can be solved. And the community can right. actually go on and benefit from that, eh? Yes. So, no, so absolutely. I want, and I, I want to zero in again on Ekaya, eh? Yes, yes, yes. So as, as I, was, I was reading and just researching on, on Ekaya, I, I came across something very interesting. Uh, I want mm. you to tell us about the environmentally sustainable methods that you've implemented in Ekaya to make sure that it's eco-friendly. And I'm especially interested oh. in the edible walls. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. so, so basically what we, we realize is that we've been trying to calculate what what how can you thrive in the rural space? So you look at me as a comedian, I'm a celebrity in Zimbabwe, I'm one of the top comics, I've traveled around the world, yet I'm living in the rural areas. How can I make it more sustainable for myself? Uh, we are trying to grow, like for example, we noticed there's a lot of uh, litter in the area. People like to drink the chibuku and so on, mm. but it's just being thrown away. And so what we said is that because the soil is very hostile in, in, in that area, uh, because of the very rich ecosystems that are there, you can literally just grow your food inside the chibuku containers and hang them from a tree. So you can eat a lettuce from, from a tree. Then we started thinking, if you join those particular bits of uh, the, the, the uh, containers, then you can create a wall and actually have an edible wall right next to your kitchen where you're cooking and so on. And so we've been living off vegetables and salads that we are growing out of uh, chibuku containers, even to the extent that we've even done a catering job uh, and actually served a lot of uh, foreign guests. I think we had 20 guests that we actually served our own lettuces and we did like a, a five-course dinner or spinach soup, lettuce and that kind of thing. And so what we've noticed now is that we can grow the food a lot smarter than what we've been doing so far. And so we designed this house um, that is basically, you know, it's on stilts. It's quite a big house and you can actually put up a, a mesh and put a, an aquaponics uh, system within the house itself and just grow a lot of your own vegetables and have some to spare for, for everybody else. It's basically just putting um, the containers uh, on an array by the, mm. like uh, to, to make a wall itself. It's almost like converting your own house into a greenhouse. 
And so th that, that's the thing that we, we have been doing is it's just looking into what kind of vegetables can we actually grow using that particular technique. Uh, like you can make your watermelons creep up. You can make your, your cucumbers creep up. Uh, the lettuces can also grow in smaller containers with a pipe going through them. So a lot of those little uh, experiments, we've just kind of been running them on the ground because we haven't actually built that, um, that uh, eco uh, building that we, that we are proposing. Uh, we've been just experimenting with exactly what crops are we going to want to build on our on our house. As we're talking, there's something that I feel has not been uh, defined. So you are saying, right. um, is it a place of of where you stay, you and your family, or it's a place that's going to be open to the public? Anyone can enjoy that rural uh, Zimbabwean experience. experience. Yeah. Okay. So basically, what we're using is we're using our homestead as a way of uh, sort of inviting the rest of the country to consider rural tourism. In fact, we've gone as far as creating an app called Rural BNB, where people can register their rural homesteads onto our platform. And through that platform, we actually help them in the process of being able to convert their rural homestead to be geared for this new ecotourism uh, uh, audience that's out there. People who are looking for sustainability, people who are looking for something a little bit more innovative, people who are looking at the future of what uh, sustainability looks like from a rural uh, context. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that once we launch our rural BMB, which we were looking at uh, Africa Day, which is May 25 next year, mm -hmm. is that we would then, because my experience, uh, I have some experience in hospitality where I used to do brand manuals for a lot of hotels. And so I understand exactly how to run a franchise within that context. So look at it as a hotel with rooms scattered around the country, all of them giving this, uh, like an almost a similar standard of service uh, from a, a rural tourism uh, perspective. But at the same time, also pushing the agenda of uh, eco-friendly uh, practices, uh, responsible sort of, um, you know, because people are going to, to the rural areas and trying to, to turn it into urban. And what we're saying is that, no, there's a different way. Let's continue with the old ways that we have learned from our ancestors borrow a little bit about what's happening around the world and also try and create something futuristic that nobody has ever seen before. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to put the example of, let's say I'm a tourist, uh, never been to Africa, coming to Africa yeah. for the first time. Describe that experience for me. Yeah, so what will, what will happen is you'd have downloaded the app, uh, the Rural BMB app. So you select uh, your accommodation type according to the things that you want to do. So maybe you like hiking, maybe you like uh, to get involved with the community, you, you might want to wake up in the morning and uh, take the cows out to, to, to get something to, to drink. Um, so th that's, the, um, that's the kind of experience we, that, that would be tailored for you. So you will be met by a, an elderly gentleman called Carl Joshua Mube. He will walk you through the village, take you by the tuck shop to have a, a local drink. You go and uh, check in to your, to your hut. Uh, we'll have a bush dinner later on in the evening. And then in the morning, we'll walk with the cattle down by the stream, have a breakfast by the river. And then when we come from the river, we do some uh, photo shoots like in the, in the bush as well. So you can get some selfies of you sitting on top of a scotch cart or, or you having your lunch being cooked by one of the other villagers. So what we want to do is we want to just show that Zimbabwean hospitality has always existed. We're just organizing it a lot better. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a chef, because in the introduction, I said you were a chef as well. So what's the culinary yeah. experience if I come there? Right. So, yeah, so the culinary ex experience happens in three parts. 
What I hope to show you is the past. I want to show you the kind of ingredients that were used in the past. I want to show you how we presently cook some of these ingredients. But I also want to take you on a futuristic journey of what exactly that ingredient can do. So, for example, I might cook for you a pig's head, uh, you know, and, and cook it inside uh, like maize and uh, peanuts and, uh, you know, all sorts of different uh, grains, grains in there. And then the, I, I then take you on another journey where I've taken that, uh, that pig's head and I've made it into what's called a terrine, the same way that they make your cold meats. And maybe you will have it on a sandwich, which is a, a very different uh, experience. Or other things like uh, making cheesy sadza. So like I'll, I'll make sadza for you, yes, using one of the local grains. But we'll also take the goat's milk and make it into a cheese like a cheddar. Um, and then, you know, and experience that within a, a package like sadza. Because remember, we're not the only country that eats something that looks like sadza. Mm -hmm. Almost every country in the world has a dish that's similar. And they have different ways in which they do it. So we want to show people that we also understand the worldly view of, of, of uh, cuisine, but we, we are also very proud of our own ingredients and our own processes of, uh, of making. So you, you know there's been a, a cause about uh, sustainable farming, uh, getting our ingredients in the most sustainable way. So at Ekaya, how are you ensuring that everything you do is sustainable? Right. So the first thing that we, uh, you know, each village is very different and is, uh, is specific to its area. So we are currently close to Victoria Falls town. One of the things that we're trying to do is make the town greener by getting their vegetables, fruit and veg from the village and some of the other processed products, rather than what's happening at the moment where stuff is traveling almost 800 kilometers away just to make it onto a plate in the, in the town. So obviously the practices are not very green. Stuff is being flown from Cape Town and so on. And yet villages can actually create the stuff there. Now, when it comes to the processes, we're looking at using less land, less land, less water, less resources, basically, in order to grow the food. So we may not grow the food out in the open fields. We may grow it more in greenhouses and like uh, sort of indoor type factories that are utilizing systems like aquaponics or hydroponics uh, to grow greater yields with less uh, use of water than you would have in an open field. So those are the kind of practices that we're looking at. We're also looking at practices of actually the community coming together, having their own solar farm, uh, you know, considering uh, electric sort of uh, vehicles to get around and less of the, you know, the cattle and that kind of thing. And when we say vehicles, we're talking about electric bikes and, and so on, to be able to get around the, the village itself. Uh, homeschooling, uh, trying to introduce internet and that kind of thing so that, you know, kids can learn while they're actually practicing stuff in the fields and so on. Because right now what we're getting is a big gap of information where the kids are going to, to school and they're learning about John and Bill uh, selling apples, for example, and yet they're in a community that grows pineapples, as an example. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a lot of lack of relevance in the education system as well. Uh, for, uh, you know, for some of the kids who are learning. So it's all about trying to grow smarter villages. And if we can do this as a prototype, then we can scale it around the country as well. Uh, do you think sustainable tourism has the potential to make a positive impact on the tourism sector in Zimbabwe? Yeah, no, no, I, absolutely. I think what's happening is that sustainable tourism is being demanded now. It's no longer a case of if, but when, you know. The, 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 the client right now is worried about, they're asking questions. Where did that beef come from? What kind of food was the, the cow eating? 
I want to see the farm. I want to go on a farm tour. I want to see where this hotel is actually getting its uh, food from. So the, the customer is actually demanding it. More people are going vegan. A lot more people are considering, the, you know, composting toilets. That's a big seller right now, that a lot of the foreigners will come to stay in a place that has a composting toilet rather than a flush system. Mm. Because for them, they're like, no, we're running out of water. And if we don't make changes fast, then the hospitality industry is being forced more than anything else to consider some of these issues. And so I think there'll be a direct impact um, on tourism if the village is actually pushing that agenda itself more than some of the established uh, hotels. And in fact, they, they are going to be, they are going to find themselves in a position where the client is going to prefer staying in the village than staying in an actual uh, establishment that's not uh, uh, gathering its own solar, that's not recycling its water, that's not looking after the environment. Right. I actually love your ideas about turning Victoria Falls into a green city. So I just wanted to ask with those plans, have you approached anyone, government, uh, the Victoria Falls City Council, anyone to try and, and get to work together so that you can actually achieve uh, Victoria Falls be, uh, becoming a green city? Yeah. So, so what we do is we do a lot of uh, baby steps. We are very much a small player within this uh, industry. And so with the baby steps, we are trying as much as possible to know who to engage. We, we are constantly in comms with the Ministry of uh, Environment, uh, Tourism, Hospitality. Uh, and the minister himself is actually very much an advocate of what we are, we are doing. He's even visited our site before um, and just encouraged us to, to keep pushing because that agenda they've seen. Uh, I've been asked many times to come and speak at universities and so on. And we're, we're really trying to get ourselves to... To, to, to interact. And it's also important, like podcasts such as yours, those also give our voice more sort of credence because it, I think it's, it's all to do with how much the media is going to participate in this, how much the media is going to be pushing uh, these voices and make sure that this, uh, you know, climate change, uh, you know, responsible uh, sort of tourism uh, is brought out so that people are more conscious about it. Mm-hmm. From, from the inception of Ekaya up to now, I want you to tell me the, the biggest lesson that you've learned from um, trying to build this uh, eco-village. Yeah, the first thing that I've learned is that goats can jump over your head and eat all of your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about, that's my first, Sorry that's my about first, that. That's my first lesson. Yeah, that's my first lesson. My second lesson is learning that chickens can finish all of your crops in a day. <laughs> Back to <laughs> the uh, uh, animal-human conflict. Exactly. So the third <laughs> thing that I've learned is that the very things you're trying to save are actually destroying the things that you're trying to use to prove that you're trying to save. Okay. And, 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 so, and, and so it's been quite a huge learning curve. Like, you know, it's imagine you shouting at animals and saying, I'm trying to save you. <laughs> and then they're d- destroying what you, what you have. Yeah. But uh, I think it's been a huge learning curve to, to learn about uh, language, particularly, is that, for example, every time, uh, you know, we've got two boys that we've adopted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not that they work for us. We, we try to make it more of a learning environment so that we're learning from them. So I'll sort of ask them, how do you guys build the roof? How do you guys do, you know, how do you guys build a wall? How do you guys, you know, how do you guys do a bed? So that I can record this as content so that we have this in our, in, you know, it's recorded for future generations. Mm. And what I've found is that I've learned from these boys that they understand a lot more than you think 
rural people do because it's just that you're not using the language. You know, you're not using the language that they use uh, for, for some of these things. They don't go around saying, oh, I'm being sustainable. <laughs> they, they, they don't look at it like that. No. They just look at it as, oh, no, this is what my grandfather just taught this me is a way of life. Uh, to do since I was a child. Yeah, this is our way of life. We, we can't categorize it by religion, science, uh, innovation. Uh, it's just our way of life. It's in our DNA. The, the challenge is that you then get lots of NGOs just coming and saying, oh, do things this way, do things that way, do things that way, without really taking into consideration how these people lived and why they were relocated to areas that were not in their skill set. Like people were resettled in Zimbabwe and put in areas where right directly in the, in, in the path of where animals migrate, mm. you know? And, and so, of course, you're going to have human-animal conflict. Uh, it's just that you, the way that you resettled them in colonial times is what causes, caused the problem because you took them from where they were, where there was no conflict with animals, and then you put them in another area, and then it eats all of their crops. Then you call them poachers. I mean, if you see, the language is all wrong. And, and yet what we're not doing is we're not bringing them into the conference of saying, why don't we get into tourism? You can make a lot of money. You won't even need to think about agriculture, not from that perspective, at least. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that we should understand the language of a community and their way of life and not try and change anything, but uh, yeah. try and understand how they live. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is a very, very important thing. It's a very, very important lesson because we're not listening enough. You know, I've sat in a lot of village meetings where NGOs have just come. They've just talked and left. And, you know, the way that they will ask questions, it's not like it's trying to get uh, solicit the right response. Because you can't go to people and say, well, how do you guys feel about e-environment? Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of language is that going to be? Like, wh- what kind of answers are you expecting to get from, from, from people? When, when, in fact, if you spoke with their actual language, you, you begin to understand that they have a better understanding of the environment than you do. Uh, so lastly, I want to ask, uh, where do you see uh, rural life and rural-based tourism in 10 years from now? You know, 10 years from now, I believe we will go back to the way things were, that you went into our rural areas and people were rich, they were wealthy, they, they're not... They're not just scrounging around trying to look for jobs in the towns. That people are visiting the rural areas. They're wanting to learn something from there. They're being trained there. I see rich centers. When I, when I say rich centers, it's a, an, a, it stands for like research, innovation, and cultural heritage centers uh, within each village that study the way of life in rural. I see rural universities. I see rural degrees and doctorates uh, that are specific to rural life. I see people thriving in the rural areas. I see people getting married, the best venues being in the rural areas. Mm. I see the rural areas as being the head of the culinary uh, journey of Zimbabwean uh, food uh, because we, you know, we are the ones who are going to di- dictate the pace. We will tell you exactly what fruits can be turned into a type of alcohol, a liqueur, a sauce, a, an ice cream, a cheesecake, a, you know, uh, or, or, or things that can be processed uh, for export. I see that happening from a rural perspective. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for coming to the program. No, thank you so much. Thank and you for having and me. And I really hope Ekai, and we really acknowledge Ekai as being the pioneer of like rural tourism and really putting it in a space where people understand it. No, thank you so much. It's, it's really just a, also just a journey of uh, discovery. And I think the more we discover, the more we realize that 
we're, we're not backward. We're not poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shouldn't be looking to the world for the solutions. We can create our own homemade uh, solutions from rural. We can be inventing our own things uh, because we, we're the ones where all the ideas were stolen anyway in the first place. So we should regain our position again as being like that center of trade within Africa to the rest of the world. And I, we really want to join you on this journey and get ourselves back, get our culture back, get everything back. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, we, we're excited because we're, we're doing a rural expo next year. And so we, it's, a, it's a virtual conference. But we hope one day that 1,000 delegates are just going to converge on one set of rural areas to discuss the future of rural. And I, you know, we can see this. It's as clear as day that this is going to happen one day. So thank you again to Carl for joining us. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us this week. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, we are also on Instagram. And you can listen to our podcast on Anchor. Uh, please join us next week for another episode. I'm your host, Nosigele Lokwaka.